Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. You can feel the heaviness of these scriptures setting in, the heaviness of this gospel. On this Tuesday of Holy Week, I just want to direct our attention to three, just three elements of this gospel that we just heard. Uh, there's, just, there's just too much to take in, so I'm just going to focus on three things. We hear this, reclining at table with his disciples, Jesus was deeply troubled and testified, amen, amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me. We all immediately think, of course, Judas, of course. But it's not that simple. (laughs) It's not that simple. Because, of course, if you skip down to the end of the gospel that we just heard, he's also talking about Simon Peter's betrayal, right? Before the cock crows three times, you will betray me. So it's Simon and it's Judas, but it's still not that simple. Because every one of them, every one of them scatters. Right? What does the Lord say? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That they all at the propitious moment, at the decisive moment, they all abandon him. They all run away. Amen, amen, I say to you, tonight one of you will betray me. He's speaking to all of them and he's speaking to all of us. That's the point. That we are implicated in this story. We have betrayed him. We have abandoned him. We are part of that. That comes out a lot, I don't know, more clearly typically in the church's liturgy. I don't know why we don't do it here. I I, I honestly don't. But in many, many parishes and for many, many centuries on Palm Sunday and on Good Friday when the Passion narrative is proclaimed, the congregation has a part, right? There's the voice of the crowd. If you follow along in the book, the crowd has the voice that says to him, crucify him. The crowd has the voice that says, we don't want him, we want Barabbas. The crowd has the voice that says, we have no king but Caesar. Right? The church in her liturgy for centuries has wisely put those words on the lips of the faithful, the faithful. Why? Because we are part of that. We are the crowd who hails him with glad hosannas as he comes into the city. And we are also, through our own willful sinfulness, through our own betrayals and denials, through all of it, we are also the crowd that cries out, crucify him. We are also the one who betrays him. We are part of this. We are part of this. The second thing I want to focus on, direct your attention to, is this. After Judas left to go hand him over to the chief priests, after Judas left, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified. I find that very odd. Like this moment, this moment, when one of my closest friends is plotting my own betrayal and execution, this moment where I know in just a few moments where all of these friends of mine will abandon me this moment that I'm about to plunge into the darkest darkness that the universe has ever seen or felt. Jesus says, this is the moment that the Son of Man is glorified. I find 
Jesus' glory so strange. And it's very unsettling, and it takes, I think, a lifetime to undergo this conversion of glory because it's such a different glory. Jesus' glory is the revelation of the Father's love. That's what brings him and the Father glory. It is glory to reveal the depth and breadth and height and length of the Father's love for you. That's the glory. That's the glory. And it is a strange glory. And finally this. Peter asks, Master, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Again, Peter, right? Open mouth, insert foot. Jesus answers, Will you lay down your life for me? Amen, amen, I say to you. And I hear him just sighing this, just with a heaviness, the cock will not crow before you deny me three times. Here's the point that I find extraordinary. Like, if Jesus knew at the Last Supper that Peter most certainly would not be willing to lay down his life for him, if he knew then that he most certainly would be denying him, then that means that he most certainly knew when he got into Simon's boat and told him to cast the net over the other side of the boat, he knew then everything that he knows right now at the Last Supper. He knew then when he said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. He knew then when he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And so I say to you, you are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. He knew then what he knows right now. In other words, he knows He's less shocked about our failures and betrayals than we are. Like, we are the ones who get shocked at how frail and how fickle and how fragile our faith is, how quickly we abandon him. We're we're the ones who, in the moment, get surprised, like, man, I can't believe I didn't stand up for my faith. I can't believe I turned to that sin again. I can't believe that I denied him. I can't believe that I exploded again on my wife, on my kids, on my husband. I can't believe that I don't have patience. I can't believe I just went to confession. I can't believe I am so weak. You know who is not shocked? Is Jesus. He knows what's in us. We're the ones who think that we're made of such noble, powerful stuff. He knows. And he calls us all the same. And he calls us all the same. And he will never tire of calling us. He knew when he called him. He knew while he was betraying him. He knew then that he was going to rebuild him through mercy. That's what this week is about. The reconstitution of all of creation through an unfathomable mercy. That's what we enter into. Amen.